3: Yeah, I do feel cheerful. Always when I'm doing radio, feel cheerful. Uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you had a sensational weekend. Uh, I am on the road, but I did not want to miss the show. Uh, so I was there kind enough in Boston to let me come out of the uh, Odyssey Studios, and it's been it's a beautiful setup here. So happy to be coming with you, uh, coming to you from New England, where there's a lot more Fox fans than I ever dreamed imaginable. Congressman Kevin Brady's coming up in 10 minutes. Got to get into dollars and cents with him. A little bit of inflation, which by almost every stat and poll is your number one concern. And then Michael Waltz will go inside the war and uh, inside uh, somewhat of a war in the Republican Party. And how much is on the line for Donald Trump uh, over the next few weeks? Because he endorsed so many candidates, many of which were underdogs. And if they get close, does that look for Donald Trump? If, if they were leading and, and they lose, does that look bad for Donald Trump? How will they affect whether he runs or not? So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three.
5: The border is not open. Individuals are huh. either expelled under the Title 42 authority or they are placed in immigration enforcement proceedings and they are removed if they do not have a valid claim under our law to remain. Okay. So you the know, border <laughs> is not open.
3: I can't take it. I, almost inter- I interrupted my own soundbite. Of course the border's uh, open. And you know what they do? They give them a cell phone and say, you better not take off the tracker and show up when we tell you to. Nice enforcement. The border bungle. Biden broke it. Mallorca's lied about it. And much to the Dem chagrin, Americans care a whole lot about it, especially because it's going to get a whole lot worse.
4: Number two.
1: Well, this is a major wake-up call for Democrats when it comes to the Latino vote. As a new poll is revealing, 52% of them say that they would back Republicans in the midterm elections.
3: Yeah, that. thank you, Ainsley, for that. Things are changing. Voters are moving towards Republicans. Polls show remarkable gains with over 45-year-olds and Hispanics, as Ainsley mentioned, and a welcome loss of big business by the Republicans as more of these big businesses like Disney go woke and
4: Republicans walk. But can that hurt them long term? Today, we finally managed to start the evacuation of people from Azovstal. For the first time, there were two days of real ceasefire. More than 100 civilians have already been evacuated, women and children, first of all.
3: Wow, wearing them down. That's the goal of both Ukrainians and Russians in their barbaric war, now in day 65. Let me update you. First off, I salute Nancy Pelosi. And the Democratic coalition that went over there. Not easy to be 78 years old as we, uh, as we start uh, talking here and go into a war zone. She did it. We can gradually lose the music now, now that I'm uh, talking in real life. So she goes over there and pledges support. Good. Demonstrated remark. She uh, mentioned that the U.S. support is going to be long term. I think good. This is something I think both sides agree on. I just saw a poll flash out from The Washington Post that 36% of you say give more aid, 35% say we're giving just the right amount, very few say ignore it. Here's more from President Zelensky. Cut one.
4: Today, we finally managed to start the evacuation of people from Azovstal after many weeks of negotiations, after many attempts, different meetings, calls, and proposals. For the first time, there were two days of real ceasefire. More than 100 civilians have already been evacuated, women and children, first of all.
3: I love that, but it does make me somewhat sad. I want, to get, I want all the civilians out, but when you give up Mariupol, they're already setting up a prov- provisional government. They're already only accepting uh, rubles. They, they're opening up supermarkets, Russian stock supermarkets, and they're doing the same thing in Kyrgyzstan. They're just saying, okay, uh, I'm in charge. We'll take over. Uh, this is the new, this is the Russian Republic and we're expanding that stuff because they don't care about human life and they don't care about who they kill. That could be a problem in the Donbass area. Even the Ukrainians say they are flooding with even more troops, but there's no coordination. There's still, even though it's so close to mother Russia, they're still having trouble getting supplies, which shows how unorganized they are. Vladimir Putin over the weekend this is a story we're looking for confirmation to undergo cancer operation uh, and hand over power to a hardline ex-spy chief so this guy his name is uh, just some KGB guy all you need to know is can't be worse than Putin let's hope he dies the guy's got cancer he's been traveling around with a cancer doctor he looks terrible on their orthodox easter sunday he couldn't even stand. We see him gripping the bottom of a table. We see people uh, meeting with him uh, 16 to 25 feet away. So there's a sign that this guy's hopefully very sick. And my sense is there's not a lot of Vladimir Putin's. There used to be a Politburo. You used to get policy. That's not the, the Brezhnev way of doing things is gone. Not that that was ever heaven. That was, that was in the midst of a Cold War. I understand it. But this is more like Stalin. My hope. So, as you mentioned, the good news is there's uh, evacuations underway. There's also rumors, uh, and most of them proved true, the Ukrainians took out two ships uh, using some of these suicide drones. That would be great news. There's also rumors of them blowing up some weapons depots in uh, Russia. That would be even better news. I'll talk about that in detail with uh, Michael Waltz, who's on the ground, former, uh, former Army Ranger. Russia has an advantage in the Donbass region because it's smaller, and they were there already. But the Ukrainians still are, are, are not allowing the Russians to surround them. So every time Russia goes to do that, they poke through. And every time they try to dominate a city like Kharkiv, again, they lost. So they're beginning to pull back there. So I don't know how they get out of this. It's costing us another 33000000000 billion. They'll vote on it again today, and I hope it gets greenlighted. But the Russians have made a terrible play in denying Bulgaria, Poland gas and oil. And now Germany, say, pay me in rubles or don't get it at all. And the rest of Europe, there's a rapid push to go to Turkey, go through Turkey, go to the Mediterranean, uh, go get natural gas from United Arab Emirates. And there's places in Africa that would be great customers. There's a pipeline that's almost done. And it looks as though the Germans are getting down to a point where they're going to suffer— There's going to be a possible recession, but in the end, they're going to be much more secure because uh, they're going to not have to depend on Russian oil and gas. Here's Bob Menendez. Cut three.
6: Economists predict that uh, the Russian economy, GDP, will contract by 15 percent. That wipes out 15 years of gain for Russia. Uh, Even Russian economists say that it will have uh, 10 percent of GDP loss. Uh, that's That's a huge blow to Russia. Uh, Europe's uh, latest uh, effort that they hopefully will uh, consolidate this week of having a oil and gas embargo uh, against Russia will be a huge blow. Uh, and so as someone who has been the author of many sanctions, it has a tail to it. It takes uh, some time to have an effect, but it is having an effect. And I think what's having even a bigger effect uh, is the West's commitment to Ukraine. This is a test for the West, uh, whether or not we will allow a country, in this case, Russia, led by Putin, uh, to ultimately violate the international order and erase the boundaries of a country by force.
3: I just don't understand what Russia is thinking. This is the only thing they have to finance their war and to feed their people. And yes, they have Europe over a, battle to a barrel to a degree. But look what Italy has done. Italy is actually opening up deals now with Algeria and other African nations and Azerbaijan. Asia, uh, to get natural gas. The plan will be to take some time to ramp up, but the country would be uh, the least vulnerable uh, to in the short term to Russia, but in the long term, not at all. Instead of buying oil and natural gas from Russia, where production costs are very low and the pipeline transportation is cheap, Europe must now turn to the immediate term to more expensive alternative places, like, get this, the United States, which until seven years ago had no gas facilities at all. Remember? What Robert O'Brien told us. Robert O'Brien said they had a deal to put a pipeline right into Portugal of natural gas that would fly right through all of Europe. They had an environmental issue with the French uh, on the in the Pyrenees Mountains. We think that has evaporated. So if there is a will, natural gas burns clean. We could be their number one supplier. There'll be some heartache. There'll be some high gas prices. You probably can't use air conditioning the way you would like to, like for example, California is experiencing right now. But if in the long term civilians live and your security is enhanced because you don't have to depend on an evil renegade nation, doesn't this work for you? Yes, explain that to your people. So uh, Italy's on the fast course, they're going to Angola, Nigeria, Republic of Congo. Evidently, there's some natural resources there we can develop. And if we can talk to Saudi Arabia, they could help in the near term. Listen, that was just one part of what we're going to be talking about. When we come back, uh, what's going on with inflation? What is the best way to get it back? Why is Nancy Pelosi still talking about build back better? Nuts. Another $4 trillion spent? Crazy. They were kidding about it over the weekend uh, on the, at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. No joke when Kevin Brady joined us. Then after that, Michael Walt. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show on the road in beautiful Boston back in a moment.
2: Expanding your knowledge base It's the Brian Kilmeade Show From the Fox News Podcasts Network
7: I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor And editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week It's the Ben Domenech Podcast Subscribe
2: and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com A talk show that's real This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: I was an immigrant rights activist for 20 years before coming to Congress. And I have consistently seen these, you know, xenophobic attacks by immigrants, by Republicans on immigrants. The Republicans have no interest in fixing the broken immigration system, which is actually the issue that we need to address if we want to have an orderly process. What happened when Trump put in place Title 42, it is a public health law that never should have been put in place because it actually has to do with the introduction of a communicable disease. And at the time that it was put into place, COVID was already here. And- you
3: know, this is when you feel bad for Joe Biden, because this is the type of idiocy he has to deal with. My question is, does he know how idiotic her statement is? Title 42 in the middle of a pandemic? Because it was here already, we should let all of Central and South America and Africa and uh and Europe in? Does that make any sense to you? Well we're keeping kids out of school? So she didn't even want it in to begin with, let alone have it go away in two weeks. Uh joining me now uh is Kevin Brady. Kevin uh the congressman from Texas, and it looks like um, Morgan Luttrell is is uh the favorite to take your spot uh in your district. But no when I hear this, no wonder you're getting out, Kevin. <laughs>
8: I'll tell you what um, that woman was clueless.
3: Uh, she's a power broker go, on one, the left.
8: Oh my God, well, look, it made perfect sense to impose title 42. And, and by the way, the American public still believes it makes perfect sense to keep that in place and But the fact of the matter is this administration, as you know, manipulates this public health emergency to their uh, to, to their aims, no matter what it is. Truth matter, they want an open border they want this chaos. They want this uh, dangerous, uh, frankly, um, environment in states like Texas. Uh, And and it's just sad to see, to hear comments like that. But I I tell you, we are, look, if this thing ends on on May 23rd, states like ours, and I would argue the whole whole country, is gonna be just crushed by this surge of, of migrants. And what it brings from fentanyl to sex trafficking to drugs, to all of this and so well, Congressman, I, I, uh, how
3: do you typical. explain the 42 Democrats that have signed a petition, uh, a letter to the president, say leave it in place from uh, from uh, Mark Kelly to Senator Hassan, uh, Henry Cuellar is for real. I get it. But yep. what do you think? Are they just playing a game for their own political welfare? Or do you think they understand that this is a problem?
8: I think the problem, Brian, has gotten so huge and, and so that you can't ignore it that it is driving their constituents to demand that that stay in place. And they're going to get a chance. Uh, we're going to find out. You asked a great question. Are they real? So we're going to find that out here because my guess is Senator Schumer, uh, this week or next, is going to try to put that Ukrainian aid bill on the COVID bill with and, and nothing to do with Title 42 and just dare Senate to vote against it. Um, and, and my guess is Republicans are going to hold tight on um, this. The question is, will some of those Democrats who've raised these issues and signed those letters, will they join us?
3: So in Texas, Governor Abbott announced the launch since the op- Operation Lone Star that you guys caught 239,000 migrants. Yeah. Uh, and you've spent almost $37 million. Uh, you've actually taken $37 million of currency out um, of drug charges. You know, this yep. drug trafficking money and 342 million lethal doses of fentanyl. My question is, Texas is writing this check for something the federal government should be doing. Now, I know you guys we supplementing are. is OK. It's a border state. I'm sure Arizona does it to a degree in New Mexico and California to a degree. But if there's ever something ripe for a lawsuit when states are suing the federal government, shouldn't this be it?
8: It it should. And Texas, by the way, is spending Billions and billions of dollars to try to secure the border when this when this president won't. In fact, uh, Governor Abbott and our leaders, uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick and, and uh, Speaker Field, you know they they're adding another half a billion dollars to to uh, to keep Operation Lone Star going because we have to, and especially in face of ending Title 42, you know, we got to do everything we can. The government, I, Congress owes Texas. The money for in Arizona, any other border state for doing the job that 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 Biden simply won't do. And it is it's a huge amount of money, Brian. But we've got to do it. We've got to do it.
3: So if, uh, Kevin, you in ways and means right now and there was a Republican president and you see inflation at 8.5 percent, wages around 5 percent. What would be the first thing that you would recommend they do?
8: Yeah. uh, Stop making it worse. You know, stop the stop the spending. And get all those COVID era programs on spending out, out of the budget secondly get workers back to the work. right now we still you know i know the biden i know president biden denies it we still have incentives to keep people home rather than reconnecting work that is really key to inflation another thing i would do i would lower taxes and here's why right now other countries around the world are lowering their taxes to fight inflation we're the only we're the only country under president Biden that's proposing to raise those taxes on families, on small businesses, (laughs) even on corporations that are trying to invest in their supply chain. These guys want to hammer them. And as you know, in this economy, you raise the prices on business, you raise prices on consumers. It, It is exactly the same thing. So they're driving inflation up at a time we ought to be lowering the cost of doing business in America. So it is, you know, economically, they're just clueless like they are on the border. But the problem is, look, we saw it was shocking, Brian, to have the economy shrink, you know, last quarter. Uh, and there's a chance it'll shrink again next quarter. The question isn't, are we headed to a recession? The only argument is, when does it happen? And it's all fueled by President Biden's spending and um, and policy, you know, just it's driven inflation up in a major way.
3: Real quick, uh, there's a, the Democrats were warned by their chief pollster that they're losing faith with the American people on the border, crime and inflation. So they know what their new strategy is? Bring up Donald Trump and say how much better we are off without Donald Trump's policies. Do you welcome that argument?
8: You know, yeah, bring it on, uh, because uh, the American people know differently. It is miserable for folks, you know, for families who are spending $5,000 more to break even. Their neighborhoods aren't safe It's to fund and now disarm the police stuff, the border issues and all. Look, they've really they've lost faith in his in in President Biden's leadership of this country. And I know the Democrats right. want to keep focusing on Trump, but he's not on the not on the ballot.
3: I know Barack Obama essentially got reelected by saying Mitt Romney's the worst person on the planet. Looks like they're going to tap back into that strategy. Uh, hopefully Republicans are smart enough to have, have a counter argument. Kevin Brady, thanks so much.
2: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
9: We see that the Biden administration continually announced laundry lists full of weapons. It was another one that the president announced on Thursday. A lot of the weapons don't arrive. They're not the weapons that uh, Zelensky seems to need. And, you know, we're at a pivotal time right now. Uh, the, The Russians are redoubling their efforts to try to take areas of eastern Ukraine, possibly extend their reach to Odessa, uh, maybe move into Moldova. This is a time when we have to get Ukraine as many weapons as possible to stop this onslaught.
3: Yeah, uh, that is Fred Feitz knows what he's doing. Key aid uh, for years to uh, uh, John Bolton. Uh, who of course, he worked with the Trump administration. And uh, Fred Fites is just a real good guy when it comes to military things and also understanding uh, who these leaders are couple of things are going on. Russians are actually running, uh, according to reports, running out of precision weapons, which is good and bad. You run out of precision weapons, you start using what they call dumb bombs, just dropping into vicinity, which is a waste of money, time, but it also just, I'm not saying they, in, in, they don't intend sometime to kill civilians, but now it's virtually guaranteed. So the Ukrainians are penetrating into the Russian border area. They're starting to blow up depot areas. Uh, The Russians are not having the success. They're behind even their Donbass operation, but they are doing damage. Imagine just saying, I I can't take over this club, but I'm going to go in the club and I'm just going to wreck the place. And you you still have the lease and you still have your staff and you look around and go, this place is destroyed. And that's why Zelensky is the perfect guy with the perfect face to say, I have to have that aid coming in. I have to have those weapons coming in. And, uh, and he, with his charisma and with his charisma that he's been able to do and the way he's been uh, uh, pushing back uh, against Russia and the way his people have been fighting has been the best uh, uh, postcard for that. Uh, Michael Walters with us now. Uh, yes, uh, Congressman, welcome back.
0: Yeah. Hey, Brian. Good to be with you.
3: So uh, looking in this area, first off, on something you don't know directly, but you might know indirectly. Are we to believe this story about Vladimir Putin having cancer surgery?
0: I, you know, I don't believe anything coming out of the Kremlin. <laughs> uh, it, I, I'll, I'm looking forward to actually getting the reporting and the, and the intelligence of what we know, but but I wouldn't take anything at face value, Brian.
3: All right, here is Nancy Pelosi in the in Kiev yesterday. Cut to.
1: Do not be bullied by bullies. If they're making threats, you cannot back down. That's my view of it. That you you were there for the fight. And you cannot uh, you cannot fold to a bully.
3: And that is Nancy Pelosi. She's not speaking from Kiev. She was speaking from Poland there, but she did get to the war torn capital. I give her great credit for this, don't you?
0: Yeah, look, I give her credit for going. I think it frankly was really a shame uh, that the secretary of defense, uh, Austin, and, and the secretary of state kind of. Snuck in and snuck out in the middle of uh, in the middle of the night. We need to have our senior officials there, standing with with Zelensky, uh, and 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 with Ukraine, and making that uh, known. Uh, I think our embassy should have already been uh, reopened there. Uh, that the United Kingdom is doing it, and of course we're following along like the administration has done since the beginning of this thing. But I would have loved to have been standing in the audience, Brian, and asked. Speaker Pelosi where was she in such a forceful way before the war I hear when you. so many of us were demanding that the uh, sanctions be in place beforehand that the weapons that the Ukrainians were begging for be provided back then
3: So the Russian defense ministry said on Sunday that it struck 800 targets across Ukraine uh including a hangar in the port city of Odessa that was said to be storing yep. weapons and ammunition delivered uh to Ukraine by the United States what, what do you know
0: well, that that wouldn't surprise me. We know the Russians have been increasingly trying to target uh, the aid deliveries coming in. It's going to be very – it's going to get very interesting if they start going over the border, right? Uh, that's when we have an escalation with NATO. Uh, so we'll see. Again, that was according to the Russian defense ministry. I believe it about as far as I can throw it. Uh, and and when I can uh, uh, you know, get to D.C. and actually get the reporting, I'll loop back around with you.
3: Um, Congressman Mike Welch with us. Congressman, yeah. the other thing the Russians are doing is taking Mariupol and they're saying, OK, uh, rubles is now the currency. The supermarket's going to be Russian. Uh, I am now in charge. We're going to get that Ukrainian yep. flag down. Same thing with Kyrgyzstan. What's the That's significance right. of that?
0: Well, they're essentially trying to do to that land bridge area uh, and the area that they've expanded out of Crimea with what they've done with Luhansk and Donbas since 2014. Just absolve it. This is step one of absolving that area into Russia, uh, and uh, it, it's it's just a it's just a shame to watch this unfold in real time. What the Russians are going to continue to do is just take bite out or bite after bite. And if our goal is just to get Zelensky back to the negotiating table, if our goal is to essentially give him enough to play to a tie. Putin will, uh, will take as much as he can, consolidate, absorb it into Russia, it, lick his wounds over the next four to five years, and be right back at it uh, in the future. We have to give Zelensky everything he needs to win, and we can't be afraid to help him drive Russia out of Ukraine. That means helping Ukrainians go on offense. Uh, and that's why you're seeing so much nuclear safe, saber rattling uh, from Putin, because he wants to deter us. Uh, from doing that. The other piece, Brian, is we've got to get serious about the sanctions. Uh, I'm sick and tired of the administration patting themselves on the back uh, for this unified response against Russia. The only people that are unified are the United States and Europe. But China, India, uh, Brazil, South Africa, most of the Middle East uh, are all still doing business uh, with Russia. That's why the ruble has recovered. That's why their economy is still going. Uh, And meanwhile, the, to the extent we have sanctions in place with Europe, there's back doors and there's exemptions for energy and for Russian gas, where they're bringing in billions per week. So I think the administration is way overselling uh, the, the the effect of these sanctions because there there are enough holes in them. Uh, you know, they look, it looks like Swiss cheese.
3: But Congressman, why don't you guys draw up something tighter? And submit it and show them exactly what to do and, and let them turn it around. Because the American people are behind 36 percent said they're in for more weapons. Thirty five percent say they're fully support arming Ukraine. Very few are against it. This is an opportunity now to say this is what we're doing. Yeah. This is what we could do.
0: Yeah, Brian, to answer your question very directly, the reason we don't is Nancy Pelosi's in charge of 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 the House of Representatives, so that's why I go back to I wish I were standing there to ask her why wasn't she t- so tough beforehand uh, and where's this tough talk when it comes to to the sanctions
3: couldn't you present it and just say this is the Republican sanction idea?
0: uh yes, we could uh but to get to the floor uh for a vote it takes her it takes her to agree
3: okay, I want to bring it to, to you. something else that's happened yep. do you know strategy why would Vladimir putin uh, be telling Europe, pay me in rubles, so you don't get oil and gas, and cut off uh, and cut off Bulgaria and Poland, because this is forcing them to do what we've been asking them to do for 50 years, and stop with this alliance on uh, reliance on energy in Russia. So Germany has shrunk their uh, their use of Russian oil and gas down to 35 uh, percent. You have Italy scrambling over uh, to uh, Algeria, Azerbaijan, uh, the Congo, and others for natural gas, um, Nigeria as well. So this is this could be a long term great play for Europe, great play for us, yep. terrible play for Putin. I mean, what is he thinking? This is what's fueling his war machine. What am I missing?
0: Well, I I don't think you're missing anything, Brian, and I think you make some great points. Um, in that, at the end of the day, yeah, the thing that has me so upset is that we're looking to replace that oil and gas. Remember, Biden was over there uh, talking about a strategy to replace it. Well, he's going to replace it with Qatar. Uh, and he's going to replace it with Maduro. And if you don't think those things are underway, um right. you know, you're we're we're kidding ourselves. But hey hey Brad, I unfortunately I've got to get on a plane, buddy. Uh, and um Okay. Uh, it, yeah, I know the feeling. It's absolutely wonderful talking to you. All
3: right, go get him Congressman. I'll see you uh, in Florida or DC or New York. Talk to you soon. All right, 1-866-408-7669. I do want to play—he's got to—and I've had this happen before because I've been getting on planes uh, nonstop for the past four weeks. You just got to get off when you got to get off because you got to get on the plane or the plane's got to take off and you're still on the phone. And the guy next to you is like, why the hell don't you shut up? I get it. Uh, real quick, I want you to play, hear more from—just uh, a little bit on the on the war situation. This is, uh, this is what Fred Flight said earlier on should we send more weapons. He also talked about— uh, if the violence goes down, Russia loses, cut five.
9: I don't think there's going to be a peace deal. I think with, with Putin being portrayed as a war criminal, that's not going to happen. But I think we can hope for a cessation of hostilities if Russia's losses reach a certain level. Uh, my, my, I don't know how we will sustain that, but I think we need to work towards an end of the conflict, which means Russia has to suffer substantial losses right now.
3: Right, and evidently if their economy shrinks like they say they it is shrinking if they have really lost 20 to 25,000 soldiers, let alone how many have been uh, wounded, and he is dealing with cancer surgery and has very little support around him, and the oligarchs are being, are, are being w- suffocated, their yachts being dispossessed, repossessed, and sold off, and a lot of their holdings read about what's happening to them. Maybe that could be the case. But my thing is, as what Mike Waltz just said, if we stop it now and they're able to absorb a part of Ukraine, which is the natural and there's, there's tons of coal, coal, iron and oil in that region. He'll spin this off as a win and he'll be back in five to seven years. And then we're going to be saying, why did we let him off the mat? That's the problem. one 866 i will be able to take calls for the first time next. It's Brian Kilmeade, The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a great weekend and so glad you're here.
2: Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
10: As you all know, President Biden's lack of a filter does get him into hot water sometimes. You know, last month he caused a huge international incident saying that Vladimir Putin should be removed from power. It was very, very upsetting to Russia. Yeah, until someone explained to them that none of the stuff Biden wants actually gets done.
3: Yeah, I, I thought he was great. I did. Uh, out of all the comedians that I've seen that I remember, I wasn't there. I We had a show to do Saturday. One Nation. Thanks for watching. And then afterwards, I watched a lot of it. And he was good. I thought he was really good. And it was conversational. It wasn't. Read joke you know, set up joke, set up joke, set up joke. I thought it was real good. Some of the stuff didn't work, but, I mean, to do that job is almost impossible. Uh, I thought his remarks at the end were not sanctimonious. They weren't scolding. I thought they were accurate. And I think people, uh, that backs up my thought, that this whole Ukrainian operation, this whole war that we're seeing, that people just want to fight for freedom as imperfect as their democracy is, and people talking about the factions and people being paid off, I get it. But it's that transition from the oppressive being a vassal state to Russia uh, since the 90s and the constant disruption from Russia, who's jealous of their look of their uh, purview to the West. I think that's making people turn around and go, "Okay, you know what? Maybe we're taking a lot for granted here. I thought his remarks at the end were good. You want to hear some more funny stuff? That was um, uh, that was his remark about Vladimir Putin. How about this? about Barack Obama's reference, cut
10: 25. Mr. President, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me here. You know, I was a little confused about why me, but then I was told that you get your highest approval ratings when a biracial African guy is standing next to you, so... uh...
3: (laughs) Funny, right? Um, I thought it was funny. Uh, How about this, cut 27.
10: MSNBC, can I just say you guys are doing great work? You know, I, I love watching your shows. You know, when Trump was in office, your shows were all about how bad he was. And now that Biden's in office, your shows are all about how bad Trump was. Consistency is important. We appreciate that. We really do.
3: Pretty accurate. Marty, you're listening on the Fox News radio app. Hey, Marty.
11: Hey, Brian. Good to talk to you. I wanted to weigh in on this ministry of disinformation that the Biden administration has set up. I think what it really is is a very clever scheme so that now they can use tax dollars to actually campaign to these groups that they feel they're in trouble with, the African American and the, and the Spanish or the Mexican uh, groups that they're starting to hemorrhage uh, support from. So they figured out how to use tax dollars to do their campaigning.
3: Can you expand on that? I don't think I follow you.
11: Well, they said this Ministry of Disinformation is going to be used to combat disinformation to these particular groups. Is that not right? So they're going to be, this Ministry of Disinformation is going to have a budget that they can use to send out information to people to combat what they see as disinformation, which, of course, will be anything that not support the Democrat point of view, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, that would be so flagrant, it would blow up in their face. And by the way, uh, those those minority, uh, the minority portions of our country, not that they, they have one person speaking for them when it comes to Hispanic, blacks, Asians, but I think they they don't want to be pandered to. And if you're going to be saying we're going to shield you from this information— as if they're their parent, it doesn't go well. And you see how he's hemorrhaging Hispanic votes? Do you know fifty-two percent surveyed in the Washington Post poll, fifty-two percent said they're more likely to vote for Republican, thirty nine percent than a Democrat? If you ever want to see Democrats crack down on the border, maybe now we'll do it when they realize the new voters coming the the people sneaking in will eventually be voting Republican. So about disinformation, I should bring that up. So Secretary Mayorkas tried to do some damage control after his hideous hearings, where he has nothing to defend except for the terrible job he's doing for uh, and the lack of policies Joe Biden is putting out. Here's what Secretary Mayorkas said about his disinformation board, cut 17.
5: There's no question, Brett, that we could have done a better job in communicating what it does. We address disinformation that presents a security threat to the homeland. Disinformation from Russia, from China, from Iran, from the cartels. Our work does not infringe on free speech. Okay, so does not infringe on civil rights, civil liberties. It's not about speech. Well it's about the connectivity to violence. Hmm. I
3: mean that should be the State Department. He's describing attacks from the outside to the inside. Homeland Security is the Hunter Biden laptop. That is outside, so you're going to make sure that that is sidelined again? The next Joe Biden scandal, the next Barack Obama, Nancy Pelosi, Susan Rice scandal? It Could it be Russian disinformation? It will take another two years of examination for you to realize it wasn't. And I'm just wondering, does this play into this? You remember Barack Obama gave that speech at Stanford a few days ago. Cut 20.
9: Now, the good news is, is that almost all the big tech platforms now acknowledge some responsibility for content on their platforms, and they're investing in large teams of people to monitor it. Given the sheer volume of content, this strategy can feel like a game of whack-a-mole. While content moderation can limit the distribution of clearly dangerous content, it doesn't go far enough. But I also think decisions like this shouldn't be left solely to private interest. These decisions affect all of us. And just like every other industry that has a big impact in our society, that means these big platforms need to be subject to some level of public oversight and regulation.
3: Coincidence? That's the topic that Mayorkas happens to sneak out during testimony? A week earlier, Barack Obama at Stanford gives that speech about disinformation. Are they all linked? Quite possibly. Look, there is a problem on social media. I don't know if I want Barack Obama and Secretary Mayorkas to fix it.
2: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you. Well, today from Boston, but located at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world. Hope you had a great weekend. For most of you listening, I think the weather was great. It actually felt like April for a change. uh, So we were able to get outside. So hopefully that'll happen. I just read that Oprah was inside for over 360 days during the pandemic. Oprah, she's so scared about. Um, Let me see. Uh, Senator Bill Haggerty is standing by, and Brett Velikovich, fresh off a trip to Ukraine again, uh, where he was on the ground for six weeks. What he knows, uh, you can't get out of a printer, you can't get out of a report, which he's seen uh, in terms of the fighting and the equipment and what's getting there and what's not. Brett Velikovich will be joining us shortly. So let's get to the Big Three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three. Our
5: border is not open. Individuals are either expelled under the title 42 authority or they are placed in immigration enforcement proceedings and they are removed if they do not have a valid claim under our law to remain so the border is not open
3: (laughs) they're removed or they get to stay here with the cell phone that we gave them with clothes that we issue them with a bus ride where we bring them wherever they want or a plane ride in the middle of the night The border bungle. Biden broke the border. Mayorkas lied about it. And much to the Dem chagrin, Americans care about it, especially because it's about to get worse.
4: Number two.
1: Well, this is a major wake up call for Democrats when it comes to the Latino vote. As a new poll is revealing, 52 percent of them say that they would back Republicans in the midterm elections.
3: Wow. Things are changing. Voters are moving towards Republicans in many ways. Polls show remarkable gains with over 45-year-olds and Hispanics and a welcome loss of big business, according to some, uh, of the Republicans. are Losing the big business as a client, I guess, as they go too woke. Case in point, Disney. Republicans walk away. It may seem good now, but is that a good long-term strategy?
12: Number one.
4: Today we finally managed to start the evacuation of people from Azovstal. For the first time, there were two days of real ceasefire. More than a hundred civilians have already been evacuated. Women and children, first of all.
3: Yeah, that is a, a translator. Obviously, President Zelensky wearing them down. That's the goal of both Ukrainians and Russians in this barbaric war. Now in day sixty-five, which we are very much in support, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, Took some courage, went there and visited again, took the train, came in uh, and left and then uh, went to Poland and made a speech. Uh, Special thanks to Hot Talk 95.5 WRNN of Myrtle Beach. We really appreciate you adding us. Uh, We appreciate you uh, adding us uh, to your schedule. Uh, I hope you enjoy the ride. We certainly are thrilled to be there. We get a lot of calls from South Carolina. All right, uh, let's bring in Senator Bill Haggerty. Senator Haggerty, welcome back.
13: Great to be with you, Brian.
3: Uh, first thing first, just on the war, $33 billion is going to be offered. Uh, the, that's what the administration wants. Are you going to look to green light that?
13: Well, I'm going to look to understand exactly what they plan to do with it. You know, they, they're, they're very very quick to come and offer huge numbers and suggest that we should vote in the middle of the night over things without producing a timeline and what exact results they hope to get with it. So until I understand, you know, what we're going to get for this, what the American taxpayer is going to get for this and what result is going to to, to yield in terms of delivering victory for the Ukrainians. um, And I'm going to have to take a very hard look at this before I can move forward.
3: I understand they want to link COVID aid with the Ukrainian aid.
13: I think they'll try any ploy they can to try to achieve um, victory on the COVID front. What they are concerned about, though, is that Republicans are going to come back and say that Title 42 has got to be reinstated or continued, and we've got a a pretty significant amount of Democrat support that's coming forward as well on that, Title 42 meaning the last tool left in the hands of our Customs and Border Patrol agents to keep people uh, from entering this country just completely wholesale.
3: Here's what Senator Tim Kaine, obviously a Democrat, uh, said about that. The Democrats, he, he seems to be one of them, said... Wait, you're going to end it and you have no plan to handle 18,000 that you projected are going to surge the border? We're already overwhelmed by 7,000? Cut 16.
0: Title 42 needs to expire. It's an emergency regulation. And it needs to be replaced by more permanent um, procedures and plans to do a better job at the border. And so I was confused about the timing. We were going to have Title 42 expire on May 23, mm-hmm. and then have, have new asylum and border rules go into place May 31. I was just confused with the administration's messaging about this.
3: Yeah, you, and that was a nice way of saying it's my own party. I don't want to blow them up. But yeah. what are you thinking?
13: Well, it's unbelievable. I, I led a delegation down to our southern border uh, the early part of April, Brian, and it's just a travesty what's happening there. You, you would not believe the, you know, the, the human misery that's occurring in our border right now. The Mexican drug cartels have complete control of Mexico's northern border at this point. They're working in harmony with the Chinese Communist Party. They're bringing fentanyl and its precursors over and working together in tandem to produce more deadly drugs that they're flooding across this border and killing Americans. We have more people dying in my home state of Tennessee this month than we did last month, and that has been the case ever since Joe Biden took office. Uh, What they've done is they've turned every town into a border town. And what Senator Kane is saying is, right, there needs to be a plan. Well, I can tell you, there's already an obvious answer that's put in place the migrant protection protocols, the so-called stay in Mexico policy that President Trump negotiated. Very hard fought. It took a long time to put that in place, and it was working. You've got to remove the incentive for people to come to the United States. When you force them to stay in their own country or in a third country while they seek asylum and you stop, catch, and release, you bring the flow of illegal immigration to a, to a trickle.
3: Well, put it this way. You know, you have a socialist leader of Mexico who the president of uh, Trump at the time— said this has got to stop. He had a series of meetings. They put Marines on their southern border. Remain in Mexico was put in place. And so good was their relationship at the end. It was the, the Mexican leader was probably the last uh, ally of ours to acknowledge that Joe Biden won the election. And he said that Donald Trump has always been fair and honest with us. We'd never had relations with Mexico like that. So whatever we would do with the Remain in Mexico, now that we understand there's 150,000 would-be illegal immigrants waiting to come— they do not want to do what a judge told them to do, and that is to reinstall the Remain in Mexico policy. But they're doing it reluctantly, haphazardly. But my fear is with that telecall that they had last week that Joe Biden will muddle his way to get rid of it.
13: Yeah, I'm, I'm very fearful of the same thing. You know, just as you said, Brian, the Biden administration has been delivered a court order to reinstate the migrant protection protocols to force these people to apply for asylum in their home country. To stop this, they will not execute it. Uh, This is a lawless administration, and they have no oversight because the Democrats have control of both the House and the Senate. I do believe that'll change in November. But in the meantime, we're going to see an avalanche of human misery across that border on the 23rd of May if Biden continues with his plan to lift Title 42 again, which is the last threat of, of, uh, of ammunition that our border patrol agents had to stop this massive flow. When I was down there, though, I, you know, I, heard, I heard the clip from Secretary Mayorkas saying that the border is closed. That is not true at all. We saw people flooding across the border. All they do is they turn themselves in. We saw a group of, of uh, people coming from Cuba. They came and asked us, where's the border patrol agent? Why is that? Because that's step one to get their free ticket and cell phone to move on into mm-hmm. the United States. It's shocking that Mayorkas would have the gall to say what he said.
3: And by the way, uh, for people to say that it's not going to be a big deal, the Honduran foreign minister came to Washington and told Fox that they expect a massive uh, influx of illegal immigrants into our country from Honduras. So they're telling us this is going to happen. They can't do anything to stop it. We have to threaten them by retaking aid back. And when we give them aid, we've got to make sure it gets to the right people, not in the pockets of these leaders. This is stuff that we've been over for 20 years but it doesn't seem, it seems like Joe Biden is surprised that we even have a border.
13: Well, he certainly hasn't gone down there. You know, I, I, I know that Nancy Pelosi led a big delegation to the Ukraine. Um, what I'd like to do is see her take a delegation down to our southern border. But there hasn't been a, a senator from the Democrat side or a leader from the, from the House or certainly not President Biden go to our southern border, they're ignoring it. They're hoping the media will ignore it. But it is a travesty. And if you think about the national security consequences of this, Brian, when I was there at the border, the Border Patrol agents told me that since Biden took office, they have apprehended 157 different nationalities. Then I got a report uh, about three weeks later, it's up to 166 different nations, citizens have been apprehended at that southern border. Who knows who's gotten away? This is a crisis of of national security, a national security crisis that Biden has precipitated as well. And our neighboring countries don't like this at all.
3: So there's a new poll out of The Washington Post, ABC poll. 52 percent of Latino voters said they would choose a Republican compared to 39 percent for Democrats. Democrats also trail in voters under 45, with 50 percent saying they would choose a Republican compared to 40 percent who said they plan to vote for a Democrat. But when it comes to the generic ballot on Congress— it looks like the Democrats have a, a one or two point advantage over you guys. Does that concern you?
13: Well, I think the Hispanic voters here in America are going to continue to move our way because anybody that uh, lives here in America properly, that got here legally, respects our nation. I think wants to see our nation remain strong. Uh, what they're witnessing happening at our southern border, I'm sure, is discouraging them to, to you know, to. to to an incredible measure, uh, the Democrats have always tried to hold them out as you know, h- hold themselves out as the party that's going to be representing the, the Hispanic population. That's just not true. From a value standpoint, from a principle standpoint, from preserving the American way, that's not the case. In fact, many of these people uh, who have migrated legally came from countries that do have socialism. They know what failed policies the Democrats are pursuing right now, and they're going to move, continue to move in favor of Republicans. I'm certain of it.
3: Well, we'll have, I, yeah, I guess we'll have to see. It's going to be a lot to do with the next six, seven months. Uh, when when Senator Kelly, uh, when Senator Hassan uh, and others uh, come down and say, I'm concerned about the border, Senator Hassan of New Hampshire did a ad in front of the border wall saying we got to reinforce our border. These are Democrats. Are they sincere? I mean, there's up to 42 of them assigned a letter saying they're concerned about uh, Title 42 and what's happening at the border. What do you think is really happening there? A guy like Henry Cuellar, we know he feels this. He, We know he believes it. Yeah. What about the others? Yeah, he lives
13: it, yeah. I think the others are reading the polls, Brian, and they realize that they are going to be gone in November. So they're moving away from the Democrat Party far-left position of just massive illegal immigration, Uh, no borders. Uh, This is not what the American public wants. This is not what voters in New Hampshire, Arizona, and many other states that have Democrat senators uh, want to see. So they're reading the polls, and they're thinking about their own survival. And if they don't wake up, and if they don't get their colleagues to actually come down and experience what I did, Uh, they don't actually come down and see exactly what's happening. This is not about doing a photo shoot in front of a wall. This is about going down and seeing the human misery that's coming across this border. I'm talking about young children, mothers, young girls who have been in in transit for, for months trying to get there, who have been abused severely. And those people are just being used as fodder by the cartels because they're using them to basically overwhelm the Border Patrol agents so that they can then shove the fentanyl across right. the border in their their normal channels. It's it's just a disgrace.
9: So
3: Trump was throwing everything at the border, firing people, and people were upset by that, threatening countries, people were upset by that. But at the end, he really got a hold of it. I went down there three times. Now they're getting 7,000 a day. Uh, back then, I think it was 3,500. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was seeing Border Patrol captains and officers being forced out of their offices who are picking up migrants, while I'm doing stand-ups, they were turning themselves into, while I'm doing interviews, they were turning themselves into them. I get back to their base, and I see a bunch of guys throwing up these tents in order to put the families in. I walk inside, and that area should be holding maybe 50 people. It's holding 150 people, which look like mini prisons because we want to protect the kids from the adults. I I had minor PTSD. I could not stop thinking about this scenario. And I can't believe, I, I can only imagine how bad it is now. Did you feel the same way? You couldn't shake what you I saw? Did.
13: Yeah, I, I I did, Brian. And i tell you who else I feel sorry for. It's the Border Patrol agents themselves. They signed up to protect our border. They didn't sign up to be processing people as rapidly as they possibly can as they, illegal, as yeah. as they illegally uh, come across that border. They are demoralized. And I was actually there on the Friday night when the Change of the, the, the change of shift occurred. The night shift came on, and the, the the leader there told the whole group in the evening muster that President Biden has determined that he's going to lift Title 42 effective May 23rd. You could have you just could have feel the pall of, of discouragement and despair fall across the room, Brian. The very last tool that they have at their disposal is being taken away. As you say, those numbers are going to go from the 3,500 you saw to the 7,000 that I saw to 18,000. They're going to be completely overwhelmed. They will not be able to protect an inch of that border, and that's exactly what the cartels and the Chinese Communist Party want. There will be more death in America due to drug overdose. It's already the number one cause of death for young people between the ages of 18 and 45 in America, thanks to Joe Biden, is death by overdose, most of it fentanyl coming from China.
3: Uh, I'm talking to Senator Bill Haggerty uh, of Tennessee. He's on Foreign Relations and Appropriations. But do you want to know uh, how far uh, off the reservation the Democrats are. Listen to what Joe Biden has to deal with. This is, uh, this is Congresswoman Jayapal on the same thing we're talking about. Cut 13.
1: I was an immigrant rights activist for 20 years before coming to Congress. And I have consistently seen these, you know, xenophobic attacks by immigrants, uh, by Republicans on immigrants. The Republicans have no interest in fixing the broken immigration system, which is actually the issue that we need to address if we want to have an orderly process. What happened when Trump put in place Title 42, it is a public health law that never should have been put in place because it actually has to do with the introduction of a communicable disease. And at the time that it was put into place, COVID was already here. I
3: mean, have you ever heard of such idiocy? It's
13: unbelievable. You know, Brian, I've actually introduced legislation to expand uh, Title 42 because if you think about the number one cause of death again for for young people between age 18 and 45, it's drug overdose. And so we've actually put in place legislation that will expand and strengthen Title 42. If we are concerned about people coming across the border who may be trafficking in drugs that could lead to overdoses, that's a public health concern that's very real. Again, I've got to get Democrats to take this and support it. But we need to keep protections in place at that border. The migrant protection protocols are the most obvious ones. Uh, Joe Biden has walked away from that, but we should we should put pressure on them at every turn to bring some sort of. Yeah.
3: Senator Haggerty, thanks so much. Appreciate it. I understand it. And I'm just gonna add this. She says, well this, since the pandemic was already here, why we why were we stopping people from coming here? Do I need to even tell you how stupid that is? When we come back, I'll take your calls 1-866-408-7669. Brian Killmechill. So glad you're listening. Keep it here.
2: If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
5: The release doesn't mean just let go into the United States. It means if we do not detain individuals, they're placed on alternatives to detention. And they are in immigration enforcement proceedings. And if they do not appear for their immigration enforcement proceedings, they are a priority for enforcement action. (laughs)
3: <laughs> so, let me understand this. What he's telling you in a condescending way, that is, Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas, when you come across and you go ahead and this is my case, this is what I like to do, okay, I'm going to process you, I'm going to give you a cell phone. I'm going to give you an ankle bracelet. I'm going to give you a desk appearance when you come back. Now, if they don't show up or they throw the cell phone away, we're going to ask ICE to go after them, really? ICE, which has been defunded? And been told basically to stay behind the desk. The few people that are left there. Remember, ICE is the enemy for the for the way left, not for the uh, not for the logical left. So that's what he's saying. If we're before we expel you, we're going to look at your situation, get you in front of a judge. You can stay until you get there. He claims 84% show up and call in. I would love to see a second source with that because I believe nothing this guy says. Brian Kilmeade show. When we come back. I'll be joined by Brett Volokovic. You want to know what's happening in Ukraine, really happening? He knows. He'll share.
2: Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
9: I don't think there's going to be a peace deal. I think with, with Putin being portrayed as a war criminal, that's not going to happen. But I think we can hope for a cessation of hostilities if Russia's losses reach a certain level. Uh, my, my, I don't know how we will sustain that. But I think we need to work towards an end of the conflict, which means Russia has to suffer substantial losses right now.
3: Fred Fights uh, talking practically. I hope so. And I think they are. Would they, would they acknowledge what we heard in transmissions among Russian officers? They lost about 20,000 people. And let's say by now it's 25, let alone how many are wounded. Uh, and they're running out of precision weapons, which is good and bad. These dumb bombs that they're dropping, even though they said they hit 500 targets on, uh, over the weekend, joining or 800 targets uh, over the weekend. Joining us now is Brett Velikovic, Fox News contributor, former Special Operations Intel analyst, uh, and also uh, a drone expert who just spent uh, some quality time over in Ukraine. Brett, welcome back.
14: Hey, thanks for having me, Brian.
3: Brett, what's changed since you left that you understand? Because I know your contacts are great.
14: Yeah, um not much to be honest. um the- With the exception of the Russians have been focusing most of their efforts on the east and the Donbass, so they've they've come out of locations like Kiev. When I when I would go downtown into the capital, you it was nearly surrounded. There are only some small corridors where you could get in there to actually extract Americans, and now. Those Russians have left, so there are things that are being restored. Um, You know, like, for instance, electricity has reportedly been restored in 409 out of the 494 regional settlements around Kyiv that were affected by Russian occupation. But at the same time, there's still war going on, man. It's uh, people are coming back into the country of Ukraine. It was interesting when I left, uh, typically people are stuck at the border crossing going uh, across into Poland, and now it's sort of the opposite, so refugees are coming back. But there are major battles going on every single day still in the east, and in you know, Donbass and Mykolaiv and Kherson are areas that are getting still hammered by Russian forces.
3: And I understand in Kherson they took down the, the Internet, so they've lost all communication?
14: Yeah, absolutely, and there's, um, you know, some other things that are going on in there as well. For instance, you know, you've got some of these locations where the is a good example. Russians have um, reportedly started using the ruble. They've been making the occupying officials introduce that there as well. Uh, They've been claiming that. Uh, Ukraine has lost control over the the Kherson region completely. You've got religious leaders and activists that are being targeted heavily. Anyone that's got connections to the government or media is being taken to Russia or at least Russian occupied areas in Ukraine, where they're being tortured. A lot of them are just disappearing. There's a lot of brutal interrogations and things that we're getting reports on from from the field that are taking place there. So. Um, By no means is is this war over, um, but at the same time, it seems like Russians are suffering tactically, um, absolutely, as you reported before I jumped on.
3: So, Brett, uh, the kidnapping, they clarified, Mm -hmm. they said the Russians, these people in Ukraine are choosing to evacuate to our country. Uh, Others who (laughs) are more sober say they've been moved into islands where they're being interrogated or put in forced labor or into Siberia.
14: No, it's disgusting. They've set up these filtration camps. Um, a lot of people are disappearing from these locations. They're lying to them. They're not letting medical aid get in there, and they're basically telling the civilians, hey, the only way to get out is to go through Russia. And so they're basically saying, hey, we'll we'll put you on this bus. We'll put you on this refugee bus. We'll take you to a safe area. And then they end up torturing and interrogating them when you've got uh, on the west side you know of uh, the country, or, or at least in locations like Mariupol, you've got buses of— uh, organizations that are just ready to bring food and bring medical aid in, and the Russians are blocking that from getting in. And it said, tel- you know, since they cut off all the media outlets in there, uh, most of the local citizens they don't know what's going on.
3: In terms of the actual fighting, uh, do you feel as though those weapons are getting to the front, and the front is now further away, and the supply lines are more challenging? Obviously, because it's moved out of the capital, right? So do what are the people telling you? Are we getting the javelins there? Are we getting these suicide drones, uh, the suicide drones to the front?
14: Well, I was, I was talking today, Brian, on, on the network about uh, the javelins, and there's some difficulties there. Look, the further you go east into the country, the less and less weapons there are. Um, and that uh, has to do with the logistical supply runs that are going, and that also has to do with, I think, a little bit of incompetence on behalf of the U.S. administration. Uh, st- they still have no idea where these weapons are going. It's mind boggling to me. This is information I'm receiving from some of the highest levels of government, Brian. It's not some soldier with a tip on his shoulder griping about uh, weapons aren't reaching the front line. This is top levels of the U.S. government dealing with lethal aid that are telling me directly they have very little insight into where these weapons are going. And it is so easy to account for these weapons if they really wanted to do it. They're coming out of Poland, they reach Ukraine. And there just seems to be a lack of uh, capability or, or will to track them. And right now, this is a war logistics. We need to get these weapons to the front lines as fast as possible. And uh, the fact that the U.S. administration doesn't want to account for this and they're just saying, hey, there you go, Russians, uh, or, or there you go, Ukraine, you know, point you in the direction of the Russians and, and have at it. The other thing is just javelins. So let's talk about this for a second. So we've got guys that are – basically in the field, um, you know, using these javelins. And you got to remember, a lot of people in Ukraine, they've just turned, they've just become soldiers just within the last couple months. I mean, a good example is literally like a DJ that I deal with that was just a few months ago mixing beats in the capital of Kiev, is now fighting for his family on the front lines with sniper rifles, he's got javelin missiles in his trunk of his car. And do you think this guy's trained on these things? No, he's not. You know, you've got thousands of these javelin missiles who have come in there to the country. They're they're making it, you know, in certain capacities to these guys. But then they're misfiring on the front line. They're not – They're they, these guys don't have the proper training. These simulators that I've – been talking about just in the last 24 hours that the U.S. government has stopped. They've stopped these uh, javelin missile simulators from coming into the country, which are the things that you use to train people on them. Um, There's some, you know, political logjam for the flow of these training devices into Ukraine. And those are the things that will help train these guys who have just been conscripted to the military and the ones that are actually defending the gates into the rest of NATO. So... um, it's it's still a bit of a mess. That's, that's for sure. I mean, again, we're only still a couple months into this war, but there are a lot of things I think that can be fixed, especially logistically, to get more weapons in and faster.
3: Well, number one, what would be the political logjam? Who would want, who would not want a simulator on to train Ukrainians?
14: Yeah, I think this has to do with. Um, that's a great question, but I think what it has to do is the fact that they're worried maybe some simulator is going to get caught in the wrong hands. But you've got thousands of javelin missiles in there. Why can't you? are. There, there, we've been trying to – guys on the ground have been trying to get two javelin simulators for months now to be brought into Ukraine before the javelin missiles arrive, and they cannot get it in. And they're being told it's being stopped at the highest levels of government for whatever reason they've come up with as to why they don't want these things in there, which makes zero sense considering – you have thousands of javelin missiles in there. What's what's the problem? And these things are misfiring. So they're the the control, the CPUs in them. They'll be on the front line. They'll be firing at Russians and they'll misfire. And then you have to take these Ukrainians off the front line to get them repaired. Which, by the way, there's not. You don't just take a javelin missile to a you know repair shop, an iPhone repair shop in the middle of the key. You got to take it into Poland. So now you're taking Ukrainians who don't even want to leave the fight to another country to get these things repaired, and. um that part of that is not necessarily because they're they're faulty. It's because they potentially they're not trained on them properly, and they're 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 messing up the control systems on the inside of it. So, um, get these simulators over there. Help me, you know, help us get these simulators over there, Ryan. Because like, why, you know, you again, you've got guys that are just became military soldiers that are being handed some highly technical equipment that in the end um, they could be more effective if they were taught how to use them properly.
3: So a couple of things. So the Donbass region is going to be easier for the Russians to fight there, harder for uh, the Ukrainians to fight there because it's further distance. And I understand it's uh, a lot of open field. But isn't it also true that things are thawing, uh, that rains will come and those tanks are are going to be forced to stay on roads or just be
4: stuck?
14: So weather is about to become a major, major issue. Watch this very closely, especially with the rains in eastern Ukraine. But that is to the disadvantage of Russia more than it is Ukrainians. The Russians got these big tanks over there, and you got Ukrainians who are sort of smarter, and they're sort of like, hey, don't give me this up armored vehicle that's going to get stuck. You know, give me a, give me a little Toyota Hilux, or let me take my own car in there, or let me take a different mechanism. And that's why, that's why Ukrainians are killing Russians ten to one tactically. Because they're they're smarter about how they're moving. But the weather is a is a major issue uh, without a doubt. I think one of the other things that are be, are, are going to potentially become a, an issue overall is the Russians have been recruiting foreign fighters from Syria now for months. And these guys have been getting trained in uh, Belarus. Uh, they've been brought into parts of Russia. And um, they've been undergoing training here for, for the last you know, month or so, tens of thousands of fighters. When do they start piping those guys in, if not already, into the east and potentially um, you know, potentially kind of have this new wave of, of, of fighting? And then on top of that, you've got Victory Day. Everyone I talk to you is really, really concerned about Victory Day. I think it's May 9th, if I'm not mistaken. People are worried that Russia and Putin are going to come up with something catastrophic to prove to the world that they are they are in charge. And what that is, we don't know, but I can tell you that people, especially in Ukraine, are preparing for this significantly. May 9th. I believe it's May 9th, yeah.
3: Yeah. So Vladimir Putin and the cancer surgery, if you look at this guy, uh, that evidently the, the Daily Mail is reporting, if you look at him, uh, over the last few times he looks terrible. He doesn't even look at the same guy. I know he's doing some Botox or, or something, but there's something wrong with him. And I do think this is not necessarily the Russian philosophy. It might just be him and a small nucleus of people, their philosophy. What do people tell you? Because I, I don't I'm, I know you're more of a warfighter than you are an intelligence operator when it comes to Russia. And they have totally sealed off their country. But does it seem real to you?
14: I think we have to look at his mental health. You've got to remember in the end that uh, Putin is a KGB agent. Okay? I started out in the intelligence community very, very young, and that has guided all, everything I've done going forward, and that guides him as well when he thinks about, about that. And so mentally, he, he's going to want to win at any cost. And his pride is going to get in the way. His ego is going to get in the way of all that. And so people cannot underestimate him and sort of his mental health and what that will potentially do on the battlefield. And, again, he's still <laughs> go back, you know, decades. He's still upset about the Cold War. So I, I'm really concerned about what he'll do uh, in, in the future here, especially, you know, you've got a madman that um, clearly um, will is telling everyone he's going to win at any cost. And so what that means, you know, only time will tell.
3: So we understand that the report goes that uh, this, this other guy will take over. His name is Nikolai Petrushev, as long as he is incapacitated in surgery. And it's abdominal surgery. He's also dealing with Parkinson's. We watch the distance between him, and we almost laugh if it wasn't so serious between him and his aides. We see him grip the table. We saw how uneasy he was at that Easter ceremony, biting his lip. And I do think in a situation like this, a lot of this comes from one guy. And for him to start denying oil and gas to his number one customer, when oil and gas is his number one way to fuel his war machine, it shows somebody seemingly, to me, totally imbalanced.
14: He's completely imbalanced. Why did he even come to Ukraine in the first place? Like, that, of course, he's imbalanced. Like, what madman does that in this day and age? So, people... You know, you, you and I had talked about this before the war had gone on. We 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 knew that this was going to happen, but a lot of people seem to think, no, he's not crazy enough to do that. And of course, he did. So how far does he take it now? Now neighboring countries are about to announce that they're going to be sending applications to NATO. It's exactly the opposite of what Putin wanted. And so what does he do when more applications in neighboring countries um, start going to NATO, which he feels like is already encroaching on his territory? Does he step up? The level of attacks, people are very, very concerned about chemical attacks. We're getting requests for gas masks to be brought in. But they, they, they want they want groups to bring to the Ukrainians gas masks and chemical suits. So what does that tell you about the information on the ground that's going on there about what Putin might potentially do?
3: And he'll alienate anybody who's on the fence, saying I'm staying out of it, uh, from Brazil to India. When you go with chemical weapons, they're going to lose more people that might be amenable to take any of their products on the open market from grain to oil and gas. Adding to Russia's troubles, according to the Pentagon, they're assessing that Moscow is having trouble replenishing its inventory of precision-guided munitions. The official says most of their strikes are being conducted with dumb bombs instead of precision weapons. Is that what your guys are telling you?
14: It's never been precise for them, and that's what I think has surprised so many people, right? I, you know, I, I come from a military that it's, um, you know, know—there's mistakes have been made, but for the most part we're very, very precise with our targeting from the air. Russia, on the other hand, they just level a town they have no work and that's why it's so dangerous to be in there it's not like some ISIS guy with a sniper rifle and or an IED you know around the corner this is artillery starts coming in on the front lines and you can't run fast enough to get away from it it just levels it levels a city block and that um, that kind of is part of their TTPs to be quite honest and I don't know if it's just that they don't have the ability to be precise or they don't care. But either way, it's incredibly dangerous because they are wiping these cities off the map. I mean, if you go into Mariupol, 90% of the entire city is just, the infrastructure is just completely damaged. I mean, the reconstruction side of this thing is going to be, you know, going to be huge. And that's because they're not, the Russians aren't being surgical and they're targeting. They don't care if it's a woman, child, Mother, father, Ukrainian soldier, it doesn't matter to them. They're just going to strike it and, mm. and destroy it. That's right. part of the TPP.
3: Yeah. Uh, Brett, thanks so much. You're doing the hard work on a daily basis, and uh, your message is so important. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. You got it. Brett Vilikovic, Fox News contributor, uh, intelligence operator. When we come back, I'll finish up this hour with your calls, one 866 Happy to be in beautiful Boston, normally at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
10: I'm ready because the kings of cable I said Fox News in the house, yeah? The top-rated news network for the past, what, 300 years? Killing it. And I know Fox has a bad reputation. I even feel you tense up now when I talk about them. They really do crush it. You know, I think they get a bad rap because it's a mixed bag. You know, they actually have really good journalists. It just depends on when you watch. All right? Fox News is sort of like a Waffle House. <laughs> yeah, it's relatively normal in the afternoon, but as soon as the sun goes down, <laughs> there's a drunk lady named Janine threatening to fight every Mexican who comes in. You can't throw me out. I know the real president.
3: You know, and, and listen. I don't think that's that's funny. I mean, it's funny. I mean, obviously, I don't think it goes dark. Uh, Tucker, Sean, uh, Laura, fantastic. is as good as primetime has ever been. People watch from all around. People that don't like them watch. They've done the impossible. Jesse also killing it at seven. So, but that's funny. You got to be able to laugh at yourself. What happens is people don't agree, and that's why they think it goes dark. I get it. I don't mean to disseminate humor. But I'm just trying to break up the difference between hate and humor. They got some good journalists. They've been killing it. Admit that that's the deal. Don't pretend that we're some marginal, uh, crazy network that says outlandish things just for ratings. So I just thought he was good. And I am not a Trevor Noah fan. I mean, I watch The Daily Show, and I, I say to myself, what is happening to me in my life? There's got to be something else for me to do because there's nothing happening there. I mean, I watched him during the pandemic— a couple of times he wasn't even trying, so I don't even know why he was doing a show. I mean, his promos are terrible, too, but he nailed it. And I also walked by in Orlando with a magic play, and it said sold out. He had sold out an arena, I think of probably, I guess if you put a stage in the middle, probably 10,000 people. So I'm in the minority there, so I thought he was good. Uh, overall, it was the first time I saw, Watch the correspondence that I didn't go to that I didn't want to be there. And nothing to do with the pandemic. I'm just saying to myself, if I have a day off and they don't need me to uh, do a show, I'm not going to Washington. And most of the people I want to talk to are at work, so I don't need to need to meet other people. I, I don't. I, it was the first time. Usually, I love going to those things, and there's always something to do and some some place to go. Unless Fox is having some exclusive party, which is which is good. But every day is like having a party over at uh, 1211 Sixth Avenue. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. BrianKilmeade.com. Get any of my books. I sign them and sell them.
2: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, Going to have a big hour coming your way. At the bottom of the hour, Brett Baer, always insightful, almost as cool as my guest that's in my New York studio now, John Taffer. The man always has to be in control, in studio with his brand-new book that is out, Bar Rescue. You know him as the Bar Rescue host. I got a brand-new season. He's got a great new book, The Power of Conflict. In a time in which we just decide to hold our silence John is saying that's a huge mistake and uses his own life lessons to show it. John Taffer, in a matter of moments, so let's get to the Big Three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more nice. and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number
4: three.
5: the border is not open. Individuals are either expelled under the Title 42 authority Or they are placed in immigration enforcement proceedings and they are removed if they do not have a valid claim under our law to remain. So the border is not open.
3: The border bungle. Biden broke it. Mayorkas lied about it. And much to the Dems' chagrin, Americans care a whole lot about what's happening there, especially because it's going to get worse.
4: Number
1: two. Well, this is a major wake up call for Democrats when it comes to the Latino vote. As a new poll is revealing, 52% of them say that they would back Republicans in the midterm elections.
3: Uh, That is the great Ainsley Earhart. Things are changing. Voters are moving towards Republicans. Polls show remarkable gains with people under 45 and Hispanics. And welcome, by the way, uh, there's something else happening. Republicans are walking away from big businesses as they go woke. Republicans
4: are walking. Could that hurt him long term? Today we finally managed to start the evacuation of people from Azovstal. For the first time, there were two days of real ceasefire. More than a hundred civilians have already been evacuated, women and children first of all.
3: Wearing them down—that's the goal of both the Ukrainians and Russians in this barbaric war. Now in day sixty-five, the better fighters are the Ukrainians, and they're fighting for their sovereignty, which I hope results in victory. Uh, by the way, special thanks to BK, uh, we have a brand new station, WRNN-FM in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Hot Talk ninety nine uh, five WRNN. So we are privileged uh, that you're now in our family of uh, stations, and I know you're going to enjoy the ride. And what a great guest you have. John Taffer, congratulations on your latest book.
7: Ah, uh, thank you, Brian. You know a thing or two about books, don't you?
3: Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and you. By, by the way, you. I feel these books. I can't wait to talk about them when they come out. Isn't day one, even though it comes out tomorrow, yeah. isn't day one so interesting? Because everything that you thought about, now you get to speak about this book. It goes from the library to the arena.
7: It's the truth. And you've you got to hold back as it's printing and coming together. You yeah. can't talk about it too early. So it's great to talk about them because we work so hard on these. This one took me uh, over two years, Brian. So uh, I, I started reading it, and you bring up a great
3: first confrontation to kind of characterize why the book is so important. You start Bar Rescue, you have a scene, and you want your reality shows. Your shows are real. Yep. The emotion's real, and the confrontation is real, and, and the resolve is real, if yep. that, of course, is the case. And you had a producer walk in and go, stop it again. We need you to do this. We need you to do that. John, we need you to stand over there. And you just saw this. You were poured by it. And you basically said, uh, you're out or I'm out. Make a choice. And you were willing to blow up the whole project because you had a vision, and you were willing to have conflict to make sure your vision was sawed through.
7: You know, uh, Brian, you and I share something. We're both honest, and I'm not going to go on television and fake stuff. And uh, when I did the show originally, my deal with the network is it would be real. And this one executive came in and wanted me to fake a bunch of stuff. And the show actually got shut down for a day. It was canceled for a day as all the network executives flew in. And, and uh, it was a big deal. But ever since then, they allowed me to do my show honestly the way I wanted to. If it wasn't for that conflict, Brian, I probably would not be on television today. So conflict is not a bad thing. Conflict is important, and I wrote this book because in today's world, Brian, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, if we don't start to speak up as a society, our ideals are going to disappear. And too many people are intimidated by conflict or scared of conflict. So I wanted to put together a how-to book with toolkits and understanding how to engage in conflict, not the kind of nasty stuff online. I'm talking about dignified, purposeful conflict. You know, that brother at Thanksgiving or that boss or the conflict. Look at parents with school boards today. They have to know how to engage in conflict. So hopefully this book empowers people to stick up for what they believe in.
3: You know, to to drill down, you like that the parents stuck up for themselves and their kids and maybe found a school board for the first time in their lives.
7: Absolutely. sometimes they hurt their message by going over the top, correct? And getting too emotional. That's right. Uh, This is, you know, great conflict happens logically it happens in a predetermined, almost strategic kind of way, almost like a debating team, if you will, Brian. You know, you know you know, who you're talking to, you know what they believe, you do your homework, and you engage in something deliberate. And unfortunately, online now, none of that happens. Everything is so nasty and lacks dignity. You know, If you and I were going to negotiate something, Brian, and you knew that I was going to take your dignity away when you sat at the table, I was going to embarrass you and shame you, you wouldn't sit at the table with me. But if you knew I was going to treat you with dignity, you would. So great conflict really starts with dignity. Couple of things.
3: I I think this stat that I when it was on my Saturday show, we talked about. I believe there's a rise of the of the rational is happening. I'm not talking about moderates. I'm talking about rational people are coming back to America and speaking up. But this guy, uh, one of my guests, say did they did an extensive study? They say two thirds of Americans decide to self silence rather than speak up when they disagree with someone. Two-thirds,
9: they just don't need
7: it. So how do our ideals continue if two-thirds of our society doesn't stick up for those ideals? That's why I wrote the book, Brian. I wanted to empower those people. I wanted to give them the confidence and help them understand that their opinion matters. And a lot of the book talks about that, that your opinion matters. Don't discount yourself. And then there's the physiological part, Brian. You know, people who are submissive, who hold things in every day and never stick up for themselves, there's bad physiological effects that happen from that as well. It's not healthy. Uh, John, it's safe to say that you don't hold anything in. That's not going to be
3: your problem. (laughs) You'll turn an ankle before you'll get an ulcer. That's true. That's true. I've seen you in real life and on television, which is real life. So here's the risk, people listening to us right now. Yeah, if I go and say that to my parent, to my boss, to my friend, to my spouse, I have to risk blowing up that relationship. What's John Taffer talking about uh confrontation? There's
7: well, so much thing downsides to it. Well, you're right, but that's the whole point of it is how do you engage with your boss? and not lose your job. How do you engage with your both? What are the systems of that? How do we engage in conflict? You know, if you're a Fox watcher and you're gonna argue with the other side of the political spectrum, I suggest in a book, watch MSNBC for a while. Understand what the heck they're talking about so you can engage better. You have to understand your opponent. And, and if you do, whether it's a boss, whether it's a parent, whether it's a school system, there's ways to engage in conflict that is meaningful, not destructive.
3: Understood. Uh, I get that. Um, now, a couple of things that you do that I notice right away. So you'll do a nod. Mm-hmm. So uh, you'll come up to me. I'm, a, I'm owning a restaurant, and uh, you're trying to get, a, get through to me. And you'll say, listen, I think what you want to do, and you'll start nodding. Is that subconscious
7: or is that a tactic? Oh, it's purposeful. Also, when when people are talking to me, I'll put my hand on my chin. I want people to think that what they say matters to me, that I respect them. And on that basis of respect and listening to them, I can engage in meaningful conflict. If I don't respect them or listen to them, it just becomes a screaming match, Brian, and we don't get anywhere. This is about being logical and being practical and understanding your opposition and strategically – Going at it to make a point.
3: Understood. So, uh, for example, body language wise, some people um, will lean against. So if I'm talking to you, I'll lean against the wall. I'll, I'll fold my hand. I'll listen to you. But if I back up and listen, people get the understanding that you are as opposed to turning away and walking away. If you turn away, or if your body language with your with, with your legs crossed or your hand behind your head, which means superiority,
7: mm-hmm. do you get the do you get into some of that? Absolutely, uh, you know. I look at crossed arms, I look at body language, I look at tightening muscles. I mean, those are the signs to tell you you're not getting through. And if you're not getting through, the conflict is worthless. So. You have to understand the other side. And we talk about so much of this in the book and the tool kits that we give. Help analyze that. You know, Brian, if I'm talking to you and you cross your arms and step back, there's no point anymore. You're not accepting what I'm saying. So I sort of blew it already. I need to pull you back in somehow. And I need to get your hand back on your chin and get you engaged with me. And great conflict happens when both sides are engaged. What about repeating their point? Well, you, you repeat know, think,
3: their point, and then you bring up your point. And don't think,
7: use the word but, use it and. I, I completely agree with that. Not only is that respectful, it's showing them that you listen to them. So you're saying this, you're saying that, yep, I can understand how you feel that way. And I have a view that might you know have so, – so I'm with you 100%. Acknowledging is part of respect. Right. And, and the other thing is,
3: as confident as you are, I think the more confident people know – the more they're willing to understand that maybe they need to know more. I think the, the smarter people are, the more they realize they have to know more. There's nothing wrong with maybe realizing you're wrong. And that comes out through confrontation. Sure people does. have to be mature enough to admit it. Uh, has that happened to you?
7: Absolutely. You know, there's a great story in the book we talk about with Roy and Walt Disney. When Walt Disney would have spent them out of house and home, they would have gone broke many, many years before they were successful. Roy controlled the checkbook, and they were making the movie Snow White, and we talk about this in the book, and there were some glitters, some uh, defects in the film in the movie Snow White. And Roy go, Walt goes to Roy and says, I need to fix this. It's 150000 hours." Roy wouldn't let him do it. And if you watch the Snow White movie to this day, you'll see that defect in the film. It was conflict that created the success of Disney. The conflict between Roy matching the dollars and Walt watching the creative. And it was the combination of both that made it successful.
3: Yeah, you know, we're going to um, have – we have something special prepared for you when you come on One Nation this weekend because uh, I know you're going to be on the channel. Yeah. Do it a little bit different. But I want to just play a cut – From your new season of Bar Rescue, let's listen.
7: Stop! You picked up that bacon with your bare hands, then put your hands all over this plate. You're gonna kill somebody. You put gloves on your hand, go touch raw chicken, then touch every handle in this kitchen. What the hell are you guys doing? How did that come out? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is not the kind of conflict I recommend in the book. As you know, Bar Rescue is a 30-, 60-day process that I do in four days. And, you know, when I go to, uh, to these bars, Brian, you know they've been told their bars are terrible. They've been told their bars are dirty. Their employees have told them this for years. So I have to say it in a way that gets noticed. I only have four days to do it. So I get loud on purpose. Believe it or not, that's not anger. That's very deliberate. And it's me engaging in what I'll call high-volume conflict, to affect the change very, very quickly, because I don't have the time for 10 conversations.
3: Understood. And people should understand that. I mean, you don't want to give away your tricks, but there's ways that you get people candid. It's well thought out and very sophisticated. So that when people get, you get them in their real environment.
7: Yeah. Also, they they have to understand your intention, Brian. You know, in bar rescue, I always get my hug in the end, right? So they understand when I'm screaming and yelling and and ranting and raving that I'm well-intended. I'm trying to help them, not hurt them. So that's got to come through in conversations, too. They care about the other side and you're well-intended.
3: you got to go do a TV hit. But, John, before you leave, there's a sense even in pro sports that coaches today do not coach like they used to. Even in the army and the military, the academies—they don't do the screaming. They yep. don't—they don't go through the Paris Island-like boot camp. Um, do, would you take that? Do you take that into account that today, uh, today's younger generation does not want that, and does that play into maybe what John Taffer was like in the '90s as opposed to 2022?
7: No, you know, I, I believe that we still need to do those things. You know, coaches push athletes to be their best. They push them to exceed even their own expectations of performance. That doesn't happen if somebody isn't pushed. Either they push themselves like a Michael Jordan did, or they have a coach who pushes them. I'm all in favor of that style. It's funny, when Marshall Wins was on Bar Rescue, he told me what a great coach I would have been.
3: <laughs> yeah, I know, I saw you did that. Uh, of course, the outstanding uh, Raider and Buffalo Bill running back. Uh, and thanks so much, uh, John. Best of luck. I'll talk to you during the week. Congratulations on the book. It is called The Power of Conflict. Pick it up and you'll be a better person, a better spouse, a better worker, and a better CEO. Thanks, John. Thanks, buddy. You got it. one 408 7669 When we come back, I'll open up the phones, but I do want to expand on, on some of the breaking news that's coming across. And also welcome in uh, Brett Bear, fresh off his uh, stint on Fox News Sunday. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Educating. Entertaining, enlightening, you're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio, you're with Brian Kilmeade.
1: Would you be okay if Donald Trump were president, if he created this disinformation governance board, or if it is in place and he wins again in 2024, that he's in charge of such a thing?
5: I believe that this working group that gathers together, gathers together best practices, makes sure that our, our work is uh, coordinated, consistent with those best practices, that we're safeguarding the right of free speech, that we're safeguarding civil liberties, I think is an extraordinarily important endeavor. <laughs>
3: That was a great question, and I can't believe it came from CNN, But because it's so astounding some of the things that are happening right now, and they have to at one point in the lunchroom or at the sports bar say, maybe we were all a little over the top, that everything we thought that Trump did was insidious and and, uh, diabolical, and now they set up a disinformation bureau led by a woman that at the very least has a track record of not being able to pick up disinformation. Like, for example, the Hunter Biden laptop and the whole Russia hoax, remember? So here is Devin Nunes on the timing of this and how it relates to Truth Social being the number one app. That's Donald Trump's app, which, by the way, I already have 22,000 followers, uh, and Twitter being the third biggest app. And I've added 90,000 since Elon Musk has made the moves on the purchase. Cut 19.
0: I think that's a direct attack on what we are doing at True Social uh, because we can no longer be canceled. So, now what do they have left to do? We're going to protect our users from this new phony government disinformation service. And the fact that they would use some derated TikTok star that is the queen of disinformation herself on the Russia hoax and the laptop from hell to head this up. Is really the height of hypocrisy that's so, that's so unbelievable. I, who I've spent so much time in
3: Washington, I don't think I've ever seen something so ridiculous. And it just, I don't even know, it's so stupid. I almost wonder if it's a distraction from the border conversation. In the big picture, on the Musk situation, I thought Newt Gingrich really put it well with Maria on Sunday, Cut 21.
5: Well, I think it's a, another example of Elon Musk being unbelievably smarter than almost everybody else. He took everything pollsters and social analysts have been saying and political analysts uh, and put it into a couple of very simple tweets or a couple of simple stick figures. Back in 2008, he was sort of a liberal, and the liberals were fairly close to the center. Then in 2012, he was beginning to be sort of in the center, and the liberals were going to the left. Now today, he finds himself to the right of center and he finds the liberals have gone crazy. They're so far to the left. And meanwhile, the conservatives in his stick figures are about where they've always been.
3: Very well put. He actually did make stick figures and chosen where he is politically center-right. Uninteresting. That drove everyone crazy. Hey, when we come back, uh, Brett Baer, fresh off his successful run on Fox News Sunday, uh, we'll talk to him about what's breaking today. Don't move. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you did.
2: talk show that's getting you talking you're with brian
6: kilmeade i want the administration to understand uh, that uh, no deal is better than a bad deal and a deal that only gives us six months from my perspective without dealing with some of the other elements you know it's 2022 It's not 2014. Some of the sunsets of the original deal, for all its imperfections, as you know, I didn't support the original deal, uh, are even closer in terms of ending a a pathway where Iran could ultimately achieve its goal. So uh, from my perspective, uh, unless there are other elements of the deal, Uh, That would not be a good deal. And, um, you know, and lifting of the IRGC designation as a terrorist organization, I think, is also critically important not to take place. They need to keep the designation on it. That may be, in fact, one of the stumbling blocks of having a deal at the end of the day.
3: That's Senator Bob Menendez, a Democrat, obviously, who, and I remember Senator Schumer, Senator Cardin, Senator Menendez, knowing that. It didn't really matter how they voted, whatever you want, but they do not go for the Iran deal. He's got conservative tendencies on international relations. And this Iran deal they're about to sign that's going to last 18 months, they said if it goes past February and they're still negotiating, it's really going to be a dead deal. We're in April, and I think to some degree the Russians are negotiating for us, which is nuts, insanity. The Russians should be doing anything in the same vicinity uh, of us or any nation— and then we're depending on them to cut a deal with Iran because we're not uh, talking to Iran. We don't have diplomatic relations with Iran. Here's Brett Bear. Uh, Brett, uh, that was what you you brought on Senator Menendez on Fox News Sunday. Welcome back, by the way. Great job as usual. Hi, Brian. And, and you did you you knew how he was going to answer, right? Because he was not for it six years ago. So I had,
12: then, I had an idea, but I didn't know how he was now with the Biden administration. Um, You know, and what they were talking to him, I think he was pretty clear where he is.
3: (laughs) I mean, but do you know anybody for this deal outside maybe a handful in the White House? And do you know if it's getting close?
12: They're still going. They're still negotiating. And um, I don't know anybody for the deal on Capitol Hill. Chris Murphy has said positive things, saying (laughs) it's worth doing. Uh, But there's very few.
3: Will it go to a vote?
12: No, it's not going to be a treaty. So, you know, they could do
3: it on their own. So they were trying to get a pledge from Secretary of State Blinken during the hearing saying, You'll, will you bring us this deal at a time? I'm going to do the best I can to find out if that would indeed be possible, which means no, pretty much.
12: Yeah, and <laughs> they didn't get that. And so they're going to go forward, uh, the administration on its own. And it's... Um, It's going to be a lonely place, especially if the Iranians are um, ready to do stuff on missiles and and other terrorist funding.
3: And that's what he brought up when it comes to um, ballistic missiles and intercontinental missiles. Nothing's there. The other thing, you know, there's no mystery, as you know, why Saudi Arabia is not taking the president's calls or uh, and saying yes to can you pump more oil. It's because of this deal and our relations with them. And not looking at the Houthis as a terror, uh, putting them on the terror watch list or listing them as a terrorist nation. This is all related.
12: It is. And so so was the Houthis attack on the UAE. It was not treated with, um, they felt, uh, you know, the same level of respect. Uh, or concern from the Biden administration. So there's a lot of love lost uh, between the Saudis, UAE, and the Biden administration.
3: Absolutely. So yesterday, also, you had a chance to sit down and talk to uh, Secretary Mayorkas. I think perhaps he was looking to do some damage control uh, about, uh, I thought, his horrific hearings, because he's got a terrible story to tell, and he told it terribly. Here's a little of the exchange that you had on the naming of this new disinformation board and the person in charge do you really think that jankowitz is anywhere near objective enough for this particular job
5: yes i do and and by the way highly regarded as a subject matter expert and i don't question her objectivity there are people in the department uh who have a, a diverse range of views and they're incredibly dedicated uh to mission we're not the opinion uh, police She has testified before Congress a number of times. She's recognized as a tremendous authority, and we're very fortunate to have her.
3: Well, two things that stand out is uh, the Russia hoax. She bought it. And number two is uh, Hunter Biden, Russian disinformation.
12: Right. And I asked about both the Steele dossier and Hunter Biden. Listen, they're doing a cleanup on aisle four here, and uh, they're they're calling it the working group now. You know, it's no longer the board or the governing board or the committee. It's the working group, which, you know, there's a group in the State Department that is about helping uh, formulate information in other countries to prevent uh, some terrorist act or, or something like that. There's already things like that. But this was not built like that. And has and conceded that He screwed up. They screwed up on the rollout. And I'd be surprised if this thing gets funded by a line item of committee funding.
3: So, Brett, do you think that it's part of the background check to check TikTok? Because that, (laughs) that little song that she had was playing everywhere. And it's so embarrassing to think that this person could be in charge of stopping the next Hunter Biden story.
12: Yeah, I think they're going to scale it back tremendously. I think it was, you know, I said last week that I thought it was the shiny thing, may have been. I don't know, but um, I, I do think that it's not going a lot of places. Um, he took questions about it, and will in the Senate as well. You know, I asked him about a number of things, and he said he was looking forward to a Senate hearing, and I said. Really? Are you really? <laughs> you <know.
3: laughs> so this week, I mean, it's going to be a big month for President Trump. If you look at May 17th, Idaho and Pennsylvania he's endorsed a lot of uh, a lot of candidates, many of which are not going to win. Doesn't look like David Perdue even going to get enough in Georgia to force a runoff with Brian Kemp to get the nomination. Um, J.D. Vance is another one since it, the, that could look good for the president. Took a guy that would maybe have been in uh, third and put him first. Here's the president, though, kind of screwing up uh, over the weekend, cut eight.
5: By the way, 33-0 in Texas. I was three on endorsements, 33-0. And, and, you know, if I lost one race, they'd say Trump was humiliated. That's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for one race. You know, we've endorsed Dr. Oz. We've endorsed JP, right? J.D. Mandel. And he's doing great. They're all doing good.
3: Hmm. J.D. Vance. That's a big nice. problem. That's a big
12: problem. If you are J.D. Vance or his campaign and you're doing a closing argument and your closing argument is that the former president of the United States has endorsed you. So you need to get on this bus. And yet he says, J.D. Mandel, the name of your closest opponent. And Mandel tweets out, thank you, Mr. President, for the endorsement. It's it's not good.
3: Yeah. I mean, uh, it's almost, uh, you know, they'd be killing Biden if he was doing this. So I think this, in my, in my humble view, between the president being 75 years old and knows maybe there's some resistance at home, if he comes out, and I, th- I expect him to lose, and Brian Kemp, I, I think, deserves to win in Georgia. David Perdue's not a strong candidate. I don't know how many times he has to lose before we realize that. So then he get J.D. Vance. If it, Dr. Oz wins and J.D. Vance wins uh, and he gets some other key victories, I think that puts him on the path. But if, if some of these guys crater, And the the, the Nebraska pick is not close. I mean, the guys – so if some of these crater, might that affect his decision? I mean, I – you think so, right? Yeah.
12: Listen, I think there's a lot of time about whether he's running or not running. And I've told you before I'm in the camp that he's likely not going to run in the long term, even though all indications are the machine is running. I do think that the primary is – a test of his juice politically. And he's right. Everybody's going to pay attention to every race. Um, But he's got a couple, maybe three, four, that are really on the edge of, of losing or losing big.
3: So a couple of things going on. Uh, Brett Baer getting set to host his show tonight. You'll see him all over the channel. Um, ABC Washington Post comes out with a poll. 68 percent of respondents polled said they don't like how Joe Biden's handling inflation. Uh, They also say seven to ten voters disapprove of how uh, he's handling the economy. Uh, They say 28 percent of respondents said they approve of uh, Biden on inflation. So that is that is uh, troublesome. Um, And when you look at other things that he's losing on, where the Democratic Party is losing on, uh, when it comes to the economy overall, 50% prefer the Republicans on the economy over Democrats. Uh, The Democrats uh, also uh, look better when it comes to social issues. And when it comes to the generic ballot on Congress, the Democrats moved up by a point or two. But clearly, there's a sense of, there seems to me, a sense of panic among Democrats.
12: I agree. I agree. President Biden is at a 46% approval in Massachusetts. That's all you need to say. And um, I think immigration is really hurting, not just in the border states, but across the country. I think inflation is the biggest hurt. So I think this article today, I think it was the Washington Post, saying that Biden advisors, political advisors, looking at Emmanuel Macron in France and how he played a poor approval rating election uh, to run against the extreme side of Marine Le Pen's party, I think you're going to see a ton of talk about Donald Trump in the final months, And, and that's what's laying out before us the january 6th committee is going to be all over night and day and they're taking a risk because i think a lot of americans are more concerned about how much things cost and security and crime and other things so but that's the bet i think they're going to make
3: i know i you know i see that story that they uh that they said they've tried every their, their warned. Uh, about the problem with crime, negative, border, negative, inflation, negative. So they're going to go uh, make everything contrast to with Donald Trump. The other problem is there's a lot of things that were going better under Donald Trump. And there a lot of people didn't like them. But when you look at the border, when you look at inflation, when you look at the economy, when you look at the the state of the world, when you look at the, the Abraham Accords, a lot of people are saying, well, wait a second, you know, what's going on here? So there, that might not be a comparison Republicans run from. The other thing to keep in mind, too, this reminds me a little bit of what Barack Obama did for his reelection. Remember, you know, the numbers were down. Of course, he's got he was a great speaker. He's got a lot of charisma, but his numbers were down. People were tiring and they decided to vilify Mitt Romney and make him the worst person ever. Uh, a horrible white person who didn't like poor people. And I think that yeah, how
12: quaint that is now, you know, a binder full of. Whatever. And the dog on the top of the roof. I mean, think about all the things that we're focused on.
3: Yeah. uh, And now these are much bigger issues. uh, Brett, I have not gotten a good answer for this. And don't 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 blame yourself if you don't have a good answer. Why could George Allen's campaign? He came out and said, Vakakta, who's this guy following me around with this Vakakta camera? And that really. Uh, that really hurt his chances of being president, but he lost to Webb because of that in that close Senate race to get six more years there. And now we're in a situation where people are making more Trump than anybody else, but making things that would have destroyed any other candidate or destroyed candidates in the past, and they just kind of walk through them. How do you explain what's changed?
12: Well, I think Trump changed it. You know, um, he, he definitely did. And I think about, all of that campaign and all the things that were said—that were the last possible thing that a politician could do to get elected. I like people who weren't captured. Talking about John McCain, <laughs> you know, all the stuff worse. about the Access Hollywood tape. Think about what we've been through. So I don't know if the bar has been raised. It's definitely been raised for Donald Trump, um, but maybe it's been raised across the board uh, for politicians, which is why you have some, you know, playing to the extreme. Uh, I do think much of the country is still in the same spot, though, center, center right, and uh, in a place where that eventually is going to appeal to a large demographic.
3: You mean center right, like that uh, Elon Musk sketched out? <laughs>
12: yeah, exactly. I mean, people are not buying the progressive woke stuff, and um, so that's a challenge for some Democrats.
3: And the last thing was for Republicans. They just talked about how the Republicans have changed. They used to be the party of big business, and now between the fights that they had uh, in Georgia and then the latest one with Disney, they're kind of feeling comfortable walking away from big business. Does that muddle their message of free market enterprise? And
12: it does. It does. I don't. There was a win in Disney. I said this last week. Um, You know, the Republicans down there and DeSantis could have walked away with a physical win politically. I think, you know, it's a wash uh, if you start saying you're going after a business in one way or another, despite what they've done, you know. So it's a
3: different message. So I really believe, Brett, overall, we made America smarter in these seven minutes we just spent together.
2: I think
12: so. I mean, I really feel happy about it.
3: Right. That's good. I don't even think you have to go to work today. You've already accomplished a lot.
12: I'm done. I'm actually done.
3: No, do me a favor. I can't get a fill-in at the last minute. I do the schedule. So just do special report, and then I'll get you off tomorrow. Okay. That sounds good. I'm in. All right. right. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate it. The great Brett Baer. Great job last yesterday on Fox News Sunday. 1-866-408-766. Time. We'll finish with a flurry of calls. Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
5: Thank you, Steve, for that introduction. And a special thanks to the 42% of you actually applauded. <laughs> I'm really excited to be here tonight with the only group of Americans with a lower approver rating than I have. Well, yeah, I thought he was
3: okay. I mean, he was better than I thought he would be. Uh, so... It was a decent night. I I don't, you know what I realized? That whole roast attitude really has no place there. And Barack Obama was the biggest culprit. And I also think that Seth Meyers was terrible. I mean, think about this. If if Barack Obama doesn't focus on Donald Trump and Seth Meyers doesn't focus on Donald Trump, maybe he doesn't even run for president. To Donald Trump's credit, he never says, you know what, I'm going to show you. Remember, there's that all that other, and when he was called out and they tried to humiliate him uh, at the Wash Correspondence Center, he runs for president, he gets a nomination and becomes president. Number two, if you factor in that Donald Trump never hearkened back to that and said that was the reason that spurred him forward, there was another time that Jimmy Kimmel has you, you know, Jimmy Kimmel does this thing where you read mean tweets. And one of the things that Barack Obama did when he was there is read a, a mean tweet about him from Donald Trump. And to paraphrase, he said, well, that might be true, but at least you'll But when I know one thing for sure, you'll never be president. Obviously, he became president. I just think the spirit was much more positive. The whole roasting thing of the president, you should do self. Um, you know, you do some things that make you look humble. And I think that works out for the better. Um, meanwhile. Thanks to everybody who watched uh, One Nation on Saturday. I'm going to look to build on that theme. It's the rise of the radically rational. Most people listening to me right now don't hate Democrats and don't hate Republicans. We understand some of the things that are going on right now, from opening up the border to uh, teaching second graders uh, to pick their gender, is insane. CRT makes no sense. 1619 was not when the nation was born. I think people are standing up and speaking out now, which guys like Bill Maher, Elon Musk, and Joe Rogan are leading the way. Their success speaks volumes. Thanks so much, for everyone, in Boston for pulling this off. See you tomorrow in New York.
11: from the Fox
2: News Podcasts Network. In these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.